Welcome to the podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd also like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.45, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Our uh, scripture reading today comes from the book of Philippians. Before I get started, I have to admit to you, I don't typically sound like a bullfrog, but you know, those new school germs made their way to my house, and so I sound a little off. Our reading comes from the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant humbled himself by becoming, I'm sorry, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to glory, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a few years ago, my husband and I rented a war movie based on a true story from World War II called Hacksaw Ridge. Have any of you heard of it before? I had never heard of it until my husband suggested that we watch it. Now, I am not one for war movies. I really am a Hallmark Channel person, and uh, so war movies, they don't show them there, really. Um, And so, but Todd had said it's a really good movie, uh, it is a true story, and it is based upon the main character is a Christian. And so I said, okay, we'll watch it. And what I didn't really realize when we started watching it is by the middle to the end, I would be boohooing like crazy and extremely thankful that we had taken the time to watch this movie. So for those of you who may not be familiar with the story, it is the story of a man named Desmond Doss, who was a quiet, unassuming Seventh-day Adventist from Lynchburg, Virginia. So just if you don't know too much about Seventh-day Adventists, some things you need to know that are pertinent to the movie is uh, Seventh-day Adventists are pacifist. They also do absolutely no work on the Sabbath, which is considered Saturday for them. And 
They uh, are vegetarians and they do not partake of caffeine. For these two reasons alone, I could never be a Seventh-day Adventist. But Doss is, and when he enlisted in the army during World War II, he enlisted as a combat medic because he believed in the cause, but he vowed never to kill. Those were his words. Well, to say that the army had no interest in Doss was an understatement. Well, they didn't want him at all, and they tried to get rid of him. They harassed him. They abused him. They considered him a slacker, and they multiple times tried to get him removed or transferred. But in 1940, a law had been passed that conscientious objectors could serve in the war effort as non-combatant positions. So, Doss was eventually trained as a medic and sent with his company to the Pacific. In 1945, Doss's company was faced with a huge task of climbing a very steep ridge that was called Hacksaw Ridge, where thousands of heavily armed Japanese waited on the very top. Under a barrage of gunfire and explosions, Doss crawled through the ground from wounded soldier to wounded soldier. He dragged injured men to the edge of the ridge, tied rope around them, and lowered them down to other medics. He saved, in a 12-hour period, over 75 men. And a few of them weren't even his soldiers. He just found a wounded man who needed help and medical attention, and he lowered them down to save their lives. Doss is quoted with saying that I prayed the whole time, and I just kept praying, Lord, please help me get just one more. To this day, Doss is the only conscientious objector to ever receive a medal of honor. Our scriptures today focus on the idea of what it looks like for a community to be one and what can happen to threaten that oneness. Paul the Apostle is addressing the church plant in Philippi on how to be united in the the vision and mission of Christ. See, Philippi could be considered as one of the most successful and thriving church plants of the time. It was the church for first church plant that in Greece. It had very strong leadership. It supported Paul as a missionary and even sent out its own missionaries to the world. But here we see that Paul is addressing some internal conflict. In chapter 1, he alludes to the fact that while for the most part the church is firm and one mind and spirit side by side, There's some kind of conflict that is threatening this oneness. And the more it goes on, the more detrimental it will be to the church thriving, the mission of Jesus, and the salvation of souls. Paul appeals to the church first on the behalf of his relationship with them. If you have any love and compassion and care for me and my ministry, and our relationship and seek to heal the conflict and become one again. 
Then he points out to the church that they should care about one another and the strife that it is causing each other. You see, the danger of the Philippi church was disunity. And I would venture to say that the biggest danger of every healthy church is disunity. Disunity is division that means that the mission and the vision that God has for the church can't be done. How can we seek to make disciples and spread the good news of Jesus if we are too busy focused on mine, yours, his, hers, theirs, instead of ours, we, and God's. Division brings selfishness and conceit, as the scriptures say. It breaks the very structure and the heart of the life that God is asking us to participate in. Paul tells the church, don't do this. Don't seek selfish ambition and conceit, but instead, with great humility, see others as more significant. Don't look to your own interest, but instead, the interest of those who are sitting around you, who are standing next to you, who live next door to you, who worship alongside you, who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We see this example in the life of Desmond Doss in deep humility and lack of personal safety. He saw others on that battlefield as one of deep value and significance. Every one of them was worth huge potential sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own life to save. So let's be honest. The United Methodist Church has some serious issues of disunity right now. And that pain and anguish of disunity has trickled down into our specific church in many different ways. To be clear, conflict doesn't have to lead to disunity. In fact, Jesus talks often about conflict. He makes it clear that there will be conflict, but it's how we handle it, how we as the people of God seek to heal conflict, to resolve disagreement with love, and strive to hear each other with the ears of God and speak with the mouth of Christ. The question we have to ask ourselves is, does our handling of conflict just look just like those who don't declare Jesus as their Lord? Or does it make us stand out as different because we handle it with love and care, being slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen and love? Do we, as the scriptures state, place others' interest above our own? Or do we count ourselves as more significant than others? You see, unhealthy conflict can lead to disunity, and it will destroy a church family, and you'll never be able to fulfill the calling to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I have to tell you, I in no way find this easy. 
I struggle with this passage and have for weeks. I want to rail at Paul that he has absolutely no idea what I'm going through, that I have every right to be mad, to look out for myself because no one else will, that I'm right and others are wrong, that I'm the only level-headed person in the room, and that I want what's best and I know how to get it or make it happen. I, me, selfishness. It lacks trust in God. It defies all that God is calling us to. And it has absolutely no focus on others. I also admit that my own selfishness leaves no room for the grace of God. How does grace play into this call of unity? God is the author and extender of grace, and he calls us as his children to also be the extenders and practicers of grace. How can we be in constant conflict and disunity if we are constantly extending grace to one another? They can't reside together. See, grace means that I recognize the humanness of other people that we all have faults and pain and anger that cause us to see and act a certain way. You see, humanness is messy. And when that messiness isn't paired with grace, then I venture to say there's no way that we can really live as Christ has called us. I want others to extend grace to me to see me as an imperfect person striving to follow God in all of my messiness. That sometimes I will say and do things that don't reflect my true heart or are done in times of stress, heartache, pain, confusion, and downright anger. But at the core of my soul, that isn't who I am. But I'm imperfect and I misstep sometimes. Grace is that thing that we extend when we feel like the person doesn't deserve it, but God extends it to to us always when we don't deserve it. And we have no right to withhold it from others. Grace is that thing that I give and, and extend to someone when I say I may be mad, I may be hurt by you, But as a child of God and recognizing that you are also broken as I am, that sometimes you do or say things that you don't necessarily mean, it doesn't reflect your heart either. I extend grace. I give you the benefit of the doubt. I see you as a child of God with worth and value. And my call is to love you, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. Then we dig in and we deal with the conflict in a godly manner. You know, I was once told when I was really angry with someone else, was given advice that the best thing to do is to pray for good things for that person. And I thought that was the worst advice anybody had ever given me in my entire life. And so I was going to do it just to prove the person who gave me the advice how wrong they were. Well, I was the one who was wrong. Because how could I consent you to be angry 
and mad and think that other person was horrible when I wanted God to bless them. And I wanted good things for their lives. I wanted success and happiness and value for them. And as I continued to pray for that person, I also started to see in my own heart where I was also a cause of that anger wasn't all about them. I had made missteps, I had said some wrong things, and I had helped create the situation. Me and that person didn't become best friends, but I see that person as a child of God. And the hurt and the pain and the anger was healed. Paul goes on to say that the best example for one who has accomplished this humility and bringing unity was Jesus. You see, if we place him in the center and if we cry out to him and if we talk less and listen more, if we hit our knees in prayer and brokenness because that we know that we can't keep unity alone, then we as a people become the healthy church that fulfills the mission to seek the lost and bring them to Jesus. The cure for disunity is the place of Jesus firmly in the center of a church family, in the center of every individual in that community. It's the crying out to him daily, hourly, and let's be honest, sometimes minute by minute. Paul ends this passage by reminding us of that mission, that it is the unity and the unified vision that we as a people of God should stand behind that we live and strive for together so that we can proclaim as one that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So can we do as Desmond Doss did and as he cried out, as a community, can they be our words of unity? Lord, just one more. Help me to love just one more. Help me to see just one more around me who is created in your image. Help me to extend grace just one more time. Help me to spread the gospel message to those around me just one more time. That personal sacrifice, trusting that God is the one who sustains us and takes care of us. And our vision and our unity is to look at others and say, you are the just one more. And you are of worth and value and my brother and sister in Christ and I am on this mission with you. Just one more. Is that our cry? And is that what unifies us? Let's pray. Father God, I am... I want that to be our prayer. I want that to be the prayer of every church who declares you at the center. May that be our vision, just one more. May we love each other with a deep, deep passion. May we extend grace to a crazy extent that those who stand on the outsides of our churches are amazed May we live out your message. 
minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. God, just one more. And may we be of one mind and one spirit, standing side by side, declaring your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.